And our gospel reading this morning comes from uh, Matthew chapter 5, verses 1 through 12. Um, we're going to, as we said earlier, we're spending some time at this beginning of the year in the beginning of the gospel of Matthew. And Jesus' beginning of, of his um, journey. And, and according to, to, to Matthew. And today, if you recall, a couple, a couple weeks ago, we, we looked at Jesus' baptism. And then last week, uh, we looked at where Jesus was moving into his ministry. He walked by the uh, sea and called four of his 12 disciples. And there, uh, we assume that those four, along with others, are with Jesus now, proclaiming um, God's word, proclaiming the kingdom of God is near, proclaiming and healing in, in uh, people. And now we go into Jesus where he gives his first sermon. It's called the Sermon on the Mount. And Jesus goes up to a mountain, sits down, and begins to teach. And the Sermon on the Mount begins with what we call the Beatitudes. And this comes from Matthew chapter 5, verses 1 through 12 again. Before we read, will you join me in prayer? Let us pray. <coughs> oh God, as we turn to your word, open our hearts and our minds. Open up our whole selves. And may the Spirit move us as we all continue to follow this journey that you have called us onto, following Jesus Christ out into this world. Through Christ our Lord. Amen. I invite you now to listen to God's word. When Jesus saw the crowds, he went up to the mountain, and after he sat down, his disciples came to him. Then he began to speak and taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they will receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when people revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven. For in the same way, they are persecuted the prophets who were before you. Friends, this is the word of our Lord. Thanks, Thanks be to God. God. In 1915, Ernest Shackleton began planning a, a land voyage across the Antarctic. His first task was to recruit crew members to join the expedition. Shackleton was uh, underfunded. The First World War had just, or was brewing up, and, and all he had to offer were working conditions guaranteed to be both difficult and dangerous. Finally, he decided the best recruitment strategy he could come up with, tell the truth. So he took out a newspaper ad that read, Join the Antarctic Expedition. We promise you a hazardous journey, small wagers, bitter cold, long months of complete darkness, constant danger, self-return, safe return, doubtful. The response? Over 5,000 applications. His strategy, not much different than Jesus's. At the beginning of his long journey, 
walked up to the top of a mountain, sat down, and told the truth. His advertisement, if you would, the Beatitudes. The response, 2.2 billion followers today. 2.2 billion people whose expedition began with Jesus going to the top of a mountain some 2,000 years ago, giving us an advertisement of what laid ahead if we choose to live like Jesus lived and care about what Jesus cared about. Some say, some say that they were the most important words ever written down in all of history. And whether you agree with that or not, what is hard not to agree with were those words that Jesus spoke that day were the beginning of a journey that turned this world upside down. And that journey for Jesus, that journey for you and for me and those who follow Jesus begins right there within those first three Beatitudes. Blessed are those that are poor in spirit. Blessed are those that mourn. Blessed are those that are meek. What Jesus is doing is telling the world, Christianity begins with those of us that are desperate and who are miserable, whose career and life plans have gone out the window, whose lives are in complete pieces, so far gone they can't see the light at all. Whether it be their fault or fault of another person or life's oppressions, it doesn't matter, Jesus says. Because the good news is, this is where I begin. This is where the gospel begins. And for those of us whose life are not miserable, whose career and life plans are, have not gone out the window, and whose lives are not in pieces, or so, we're not so far gone, we can't see the light, Jesus says, I have a message for you too. For all of you, though, who are bored with life's definition of success, with the meaning that we give to the word bless." who are jaded with worldviews, non-committal, paralyzed by the choices that we are given, this message is for you too. Come, Jesus says, and see what Christianity is all about. So Jesus invites us to come and sit down with those that are weeping and wailing, with spirits that are crushed, whose stomachs are empty, who are thirsty for faith, who can't remember the last time someone said to them, you are good enough. This is where the voyage begins. The voyage of Christianity begins there because this is where Jesus began. If our journey of following Jesus begins within those first three Beatitudes, then the next three is where Jesus transforms us. It's starting with, blessed are those who are hungry and thirsty for righteousness. And Sam Wells argues he invites us to imagine if we are longing and aching and yearning to imitate God. So much so that it literally felt like we are hungry or thirsty. So much so that this hunger and thirst became our focus. And the only way to quench it was to follow God. Which means even our shortcomings, our actions, the paths that we take, all follow behind Jesus. 
This desire becomes our meat. It becomes our drink. This becomes our daily substance. It's through that hunger and thirst that leads us then to mercy. Blessed are those who are merciful. It's all about how we treat others. And behind this question, behind, I mean, behind the blessing is a question for each of us. The question is, how would we like to be treated by God on Judgment Day? It's how we answer that question that defines our definition of mercy. It's within that definition of how we are called to show mercy to others throughout our journey. Perhaps along our ex- if we grow to believe that God will recognize God's self in us, then somewhere with mercy that we'll start to see God in others. Which then leads us to if, you're, if our hunger and thirst is all about God and mercy is about others, then blessed are the pure in heart is about us. Purity of heart is about growing clarity of what is and what is not important. Not fashionable, not popular, not effective, not lucrative, not eye-catching, not relaxing, not clever, not witty, not dramatic, not necessary, urgent, but what's important. And during those times when everyone around us seems to have lost some clarity in this world of what is most important, pure in heart says that you'll see one thing, Because our voyage never stops. We never stop watching and following Jesus. This voyage Jesus has us on is about not us changing the world. We are not the heroes of this story. God is our hand doing that. Instead, this voyage is about God changing us. So I wonder, if it's not until we begin to be transformed in that second set of Beatitudes that we begin finding Jesus in that first set, that we can start to understand the last three. Where God is using our transformation to change the world. What if blessed are the peacemakers? Begin with us asking how we will allow God to use us for God's reconciliation that God is up to. In the same way, these last two, blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake and blessed are those who people revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. When we see God in action in all of these places, Jesus says that we will get to the point and the place where we have been transformed so much that we don't care who knows how much that we love God, no matter how much it costs or how unpopular it may be, how it may even endanger our lives. We have a faith so strong that we follow Jesus to the very end, even in that face of danger, even in that face of death, even when return is doubtful. Sharon Snyder was a clerk 
for a circuit court judge in Missouri, people often came to her to request some documents that helped them as they tried to prove their innocence of a loved one that had gone to jail. In 2009, a, a woman came and told the story of her brother, a man named Robert Nelson, who had been convicted and already served 25 years of a 70-year term. The woman insisted that her brother was innocent. At the time of Nelson's conviction, DNA testing had not been available, but now that it was, Nelson wanted to file a motion to have DNA testing done on the evidence of this case. Snyder gave Nelson's sister the documents she requested. Sometime later, the sister came back and told Snyder that a request for the DNA had been denied. Nelson filed another request, which was also denied. And neither he nor his sister could figure out why. Sharon Snyder remembered a similar case where a test for DNA sample had been granted. The paperwork for that case um, was now a part of public record. So Snyder showed it to Nelson's sister. Using that request as a template, Nelson's sister filed for a third time. And this time, the request was granted. The evidence tested showed that Nelson was innocent. 30 years after he went to prison, Robert Nelson was set free. Two weeks later, Sharon Snyder was suspended without pay for allegedly violating law that forbid her from offering legal advice or counsel. A few days after that, she was fired. 70 years old, Snyder had worked for the office for 34 years, nine months before her retirement. When Ira Glass interviewed her on his radio show, The American Life, he asked her, had anything good come out of helping Robert Nelson? Glass, expecting her to say something like, well, I got to retire a little bit earlier than planned. I got to spend some time with my grandchildren that I hadn't spent in a long time. You know what? I got to do TV and radio interviews. But answer referenced none of that. Instead, she said, the good thing that came out of this is that Robert Nelson is free. And I'm so happy for him. I'm glad what I did because it was worth the case. Even though I lost my job and it put me in a really financial bind, it was worth it. I guess what you're really asking me is, would I do it again? The answer is yes. Because if that truth wouldn't have set that man free, then am I really free? I wish so much. I wish so much that Jesus' journey was a personal journey, that the voyage of Jesus invites us was only about some personal relationship with me and Jesus Christ. But it's not. For the very first beatitude to the very last, Jesus invites us into a community, teaches us about God's mercy, transforms us to follow Jesus, and Jesus transforms the world. My friend Samantha Gonzalez Blog got it correct when she said, the Beatitudes are not meant to serve in an entrance exam to heaven or a recipe for success or a set of steps that we need to check off. Jesus isn't calling upon people to elect to become weak or mournful or hungry. They serve a much more radical relational purpose. The Beatitudes are promises, sacred, freeing promises. 
Promises of God who recognizes us, needs us, and cherishes us when we are at our most vulnerable states. And promises of God who longs to be recognized, needed, and cherished in return. The Beatitudes, it turns out, is not an advertisement after all. Instead, they tell the truth about the world in which we live in today. And the truth about the assurances that are to come. And right in between that, there's a comma. And on this side of heaven, I think this is where the journey of Jesus has taken us. To rest in that comma. Sure, we get a glimpse of the kingdom of God from time to time. But today, on our journey, we have a foot on either side. The already and the not yet. It happens at this table. Every time that we come to this table where we remember that we are nourished and called forth for past, present, and future collide right there at the Lord's Supper. It happens right here at this font where we drench a church member with the waters of baptism proclaiming that nothing can separate them from God's love. It happens in this room in our confessions and our prayers and our proclamations and our silence. And it happens any time that we dare open scripture together. And it happens when we hold the hand of the dying, the lonely, the sick, the forgotten. It happens when we place food in someone's trunk. Or tutor that child in math. Or plant seeds in a garden. Or dare dream of what God is doing within our animals. It also happens when someone puts food into your trunk, tutors you in math, plants seeds in your soul, and holds our hands when we are the dying, the sick, the lonely, and the forgotten. It happens when we stand for justice, claim for peace, speak out against violence, and risk it all to go on this journey with Jesus. Jesus offered no prosperity gospel on top of that mountain that day. There was no do this and do that and you'll have all your blessings. Instead, Jesus looked around at all those gathered and he saw the hungry, the poor, hurting the meek. He saw those merciful and peacemakers, those longing for righteousness and those who would be persecuted, mocked, and rejected. He saw a bunch of folks who didn't deserve it one bit. But still, he spoke the truth and he said, blessed are you. And that truth continues to echo through us today. As Jesus dwells in that comma, specifically to say, Blessed are you. Blessed are you. Blessed are you. Blessed are you. Blessed are you.